Hi everyone, James Foey here to let you know that DSRA Podcast will be taking a break this week to go to the beach. To go along with that theme, we're going to take a look back this week at one of our favorites, Treasure Island. Hello, I'm Claire White. And I'm Kyle Willoughby. <laughs> and this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. We are here to discuss new nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories. And these next two episodes that we're doing are going to be very special episodes. Spectacular episodes, even. Special and spectacular. So for those who don't know, uh, these next two weeks, week really, are mine and Kyle's birthday week. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Um, We're not twins. We're not twins, We're close. Almost twins. Um, But we are born within the same week, and we thought it would be fun, instead of doing current topics, that we would each pick a nostalgic topic of something that we really love. I keep calling this in my head birthday spectaculars. Yeah, this is these are the birthday spectacular podcast. So my birthday is first, so I get to go first. She does. And I picked the novel Treasure Island. Yay! Yay! Which I was excited about because I'd never actually read before. And now I have. Now you have. You're welcome. So thank you, Claire. Treasure Island is written by Robert Louis Stevenson in 1883. In the novel, a young innkeeper's son, Jim Hawkins, comes into a map that shows the location of an island harboring the dreaded pirate Captain Flint's buried treasure. Dun-dun-dun. As Jim and his friends set sail to find the treasure, they must contend with Flint's old crew, led by Long John Silver who will stop at nothing to claim what they believe is rightfully theirs. Hijinks and adventures ensue. Over the years, there have been multiple adaptations of Treasure Island on film, TV, books, video games, radio, and theater. It is a very highly influential piece of pop culture. And when I think of adventure, as in our podcast, Dragon, Sexy Robots, and And Adventure, adventure. this is the ultimate adventure story. It definitely is. And Claire, what do they have to sail across again? The Atlantic. Oh, the big blue wet thing. The big blue wet thing. We're also huge fans of Muppet Treasure Island, which we will talk about more later. I never read Treasure Island, but I have seen Muppet Treasure Island many times. Which can be argued is almost as good. Um, So I'm going to be doing the history since it's it's my episode. I'll do the history of pirates and also pirates in pop culture. And Kyle, you're going to talk about... Robert Louis Stevenson and some of his creative juices behind Treasure Island. So, which I which didn't know a lot about Robert Louis He's Stevenson. Pretty cool. I assumed he was a one-hit wonder author. Definitely not the case. <laughs> There's one specific very famous work that he wrote other than Treasure Island that I was like, oh my gosh. You yeah, had a lot of hits. A very talented man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I guess... I'll start. I'm not used to doing these intros. No, you you did a beautiful Thanks, intro. Thanks, Kyle. Claire. I wasn't fishing, but I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So let's start with what's a pirate? A pirate is anyone who robs on the seas. So if you were on a sea and you rob someone, you're a pirate. pirate. Now, a buccaneer is a pirate who works, though now it's probably more worked, in the Caribbean. Mm. And the original buccaneers were French renegades who lived off of stolen livestock on Hispaniola, which is now known as the island that houses Haiti and the Dominican Republic. 
Um, and also, fun fact, uh, it is the ship that our characters set sail on in Treasure Island. Yeah, it's the name of their boat, their schooner. The Hispaniola. Um, these buccaneers smoked their meat over open fires, so the French word for to smoke dry, buccaneer, became associated with them. Mmm, tasty. Yeah, they're really just people who like to smoke some meat. That's all they are. <laughs> so, 17th century hipsters. <laughs> yeah. Or cowboys, yeah. one of the two. Um, the pirates that I'm going to be talking about today are going to be buccaneers, since that's what the pirates in Treasure Island are. But I also just want to preface by saying piracy has been around pretty much ever since there were boats. Yeah, yeah. Um, example, the Vikings could have been considered pirates. Um, and most famously, recently, there were Somali pirates who a couple years ago were going after ships off the coast of Somalia in Africa. And I think are still at it a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somali pirates are still a very real and dangerous thing. There's also a pirate empire in China like a long time ago. I'm actually going to get to that just a little bit because it's oh, so It's so cool, cool. That, that there was a pirate empire. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the uh, Caribbean for now. So the 17th century has been called the golden age of piracy in the Caribbean. Um, between 1718 and 1722, pirates captured and plundered more than 2,400 ships on Atlantic trade routes. So they they did well. Yeah. And uh, the reason that there were so many pirates was because quite a few European and American sailors were left unemployed at the end of the War of Spanish Succession, which took place in the Americas and on the European mainland. And many of these unemployed soldiers turned to piracy, or sailors, I should say, not soldiers, turned to piracy, because what else are you going to do? They knew how to fight, and uh, that was it. Knew how to fight, knew how to sail, new ships. Yeah. Also, the British government was commissioning seamen to be pirates, uh, but there were rules. They could only steal from Spaniards first, and then it included other nations they were at war with, and they had to turn over a large portion of their loot to the English government. Screw that. <laughs> well, some people did well. Sir Francis Drake, for example, was probably the most famous of these quote-unquote legal pirates. And the Spanish and the French did the same thing because you see something done well. Yeah. Why not try and do it? But it got a little bit out of hand. And in the 18th century, this legal piracy was being abused in many ways. Um, for example, the British would say, hey, we're no longer at war with France. You can't steal from French scripts. And scripts, ships. Ships. <laughs> <laughs> Can't steal those French scripts. ships. And the pirates would say, well, screw you. This is our livelihood. We're going to steal from the French, and we're going to steal, steal from, from you, you too. You tell us what to do, you get stolen from. <laughs> they didn't like being told what to do. Also, on that note, they didn't want to turn over as much of the loot as the British government wanted. So all of this is going on. The British started really cracking down on piracy, and other countries did as well. By the time of the Mexican-American War in the 1840s, the American Navy had finally grown strong enough to crack down on pirates, and they almost eliminated them from the Caribbean. There was a bit of a resurgence during the Civil War, but really small. So not only were they murderers, they were tax evaders as well. Can you believe it? Despicable. Despicable. <laughs> and I, th I thought this was fun. Here are a few things that we would think of as pirate stereotypes that are true. They did dress in colorful clothes, 
And they had parrots, probably because parrots were considered luxury items in Europe, and they were very expensive. Did they really have parrots? They had parrots. Oh, wow. And they flew Jolly Rogers. Yeah, I knew that. Um, so I'm going to now transition into pirates and pop culture and how they grew into kind of the obsession we have with pirates today. So at first they were viewed very negatively, beside probably the legal pirate Sir Francis Drake being this great British hero. Yeah. But an example of them being viewed negatively is that Great Britain celebrated a national holiday when Lieutenant Robert Maynard killed Blackbeard, yeah. who's one of the most famous pirates ever. You know where he killed him off the coast of North Carolina, too, in the Outer Banks. I did hear about that. Yeah. Um, and I wish I had time to go into individual pirate stories in this segment, but I, cannot, I had to pick and choose. Yeah. Um, so the pop culture obsession that we would recognize today started in 1724 with a book by Captain Charles Johnson called A General History of Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. Ooh, Doesn't that sound like a good read? Yeah, especially for 1724. <laughs> yeah. Scandalous, man. Ooh. So Captain Charles Johnson was a pen name because maybe you didn't want to be caught writing, writing such a scandalous pirates. book. But people, a lot of people seem to think it was Daniel Defoe who wrote Robinson Crusoe. Um, but the identity has never been revealed, so we'll, we'll never know. Um, but this book contained biographies of contemporary pirates, and the book didn't condemn piracy. Uh, these pirates were charismatic. It gave them almost a mythical status. And a lot of the stereotypes that we associate with pirates are featured in this book. Uh, such as pirates with missing legs and missing eyes, pirates bearing treasure, and a pirate flag called the Jolly Roger. So this is the beginning of pirates being loved and accepted in pop culture. And now I'm going to just start going through other famous instances of pirates being huge in pop culture that have built them into what they are today. So Lord Byron, a famous poet, wrote a poem called The Cosair, in 1814, and it made publishing history when it sold out its entire first edition. This is 10,000 copies in one day. Whoa. Yeah, this is in 1814, and I think it was almost all in London. Um, and in this poem, a good-hearted pirate captain leaves his, his beloved behind to fight the Turkish pasha and save a Turkish harem slave. A good-hearted pirate goes to save a Turkish slave. <laughs> Yeah, and he misses his beloved, but he has to fight the Pasha. Um, Sir Walter Scott wrote a book called The Pirate that was published in 1822, and it was one of his most popular novels, and it was based on the adventures of real-life pirate John Gow. Now, I'm not saying that like Lord Byron and Sir Walter Scott's books were popular just because they were pirates. These were very famous, yeah, famous poets writers. and Byron authors. Was huge in, yeah. the, in the early 1800s. And in their time, they were yeah. very well-renowned. Yeah. So they were selling based on the name, but these stories were especially popular. Um, there's this little opera called Pirates of Penzance. Yeah, I've actually seen that before, or at least a, a, a film version of it. I, I know some of the songs, Modern Major General. I'm, is that from Pirates of Penzance? I'm pretty I mean, sure it yeah. is, yeah. I remember the one about... Oh, never mind. There's a part in the movie where one pirate shocks himself on accident with a sword, and it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was an opera written by author Sullivan and W.S. Gilbert, known as Gilbert and Sullivan. 
And in this opera, these pirates sing and dance and are silly. And they're actually, they are exploited because they can't kill orphans because all these pirates are orphans. So they could never harm harm another orphan and their victims know this. So they're like, oh, I'm an orphan. You can't hurt me. (laughs) Um, So that's another look at pirates through a different lens. And then um, our book, Treasure Island, was written in 1883, and Peter Pan was written in 1904 by J.M. Barry. And these two books are cited as the books that really turned up the notch on, of pirates and pop culture. Yeah. Um, and both authors were very influenced by Johnson's book, the original um, general history of robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates. Long John Silver, especially the main pirate in Treasure Island, popularized the idea of peg legs, also the idea of treasure maps and parrots, really started to take hold after Treasure Island. Yeah. Um, uh, Captain Blood is about an Irish doctor who is taken as a slave and then makes himself into a pirate in a series of novels by Raphael Sabatini. And Errol Flynn played this role in the 1935 movie. And the way he played that pirate set the template for every pirate in a movie afterwards. He was this swashbuckling, devil-may-care hero. Errol Flynn played a lot of those swashbuckling characters, too. It's funny. I think this is might have been the movie that actually jump-started his career. Really? I'm going to link to the trailer because I watched it, and it's just fun. I kind of want to watch the movie. The sword fright fights from the Errol Flynn Robin Hood are some of the funnest things oh, I've you never can seen watch. that yeah. Robin Hood. It's it's They're super cool. And they're so old, but they're so good. Yeah. Oh, sometimes watching those older movies, you're like, wow. Yeah. Good really job. Really well choreographed, yeah. The Dread Pirate Roberts in the movie The Princess Bride. Wesley! Yeah, is another pirate that is, you know, a swashbuckling hero. Yeah. And then recently, and probably most famous now, is Captain Jack Jack Sparrow Sparrow. from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I've been watching Black Sails. Did you start it? I just started it because of this research, which is another pirate show which mixes fictional pirates and real-life pirates. And the whole show is kind of a prequel to Treasure Island. Which is super cool. You you told me about that. Is it good? Is the beginning any good? Are you going to stick with it? I don't think it's the best beginning I've ever seen, but I'm definitely going to stick with it. I'm interested. I'm curious to see where it goes. I want to watch it, too. Um, So now I'm going to move on to why we might like pirates so much. I mean, there's a national talk like a pirate day. Is it because we as Americans love freedom and robbing people? Probably, but Europeans love pirates, too. (laughs) Actually, all over the world, Pirates of the Caribbean just came out this weekend that we're recording. And it it didn't do the best of all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but it dominated the box office. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's not just the U.S. That's Asia as well. Uh, John Bauer, who is the co-founder of Talk Like a Pirate Day, (laughs) uh, said that he thinks what appeals most about pirates is the freedom, not necessarily the pillaging and killing. And that pirates had a reputation for living outside the box. They made their own rules, and they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. And they could wear whatever they wanted, too. They could dress like, you know, kind of fops, but they were still cool. Yeah, they and they pirates. look amazing, and yeah. you have to take them seriously, because exactly. otherwise they'll kill you. Yeah, exactly. And from other articles that I read, what I've gathered is that pirates capture humans' desire for adventure and danger and thrills and exploration and that over the past i guess two decades they have become a symbol of 
freedom and raucous living. Yeah, there's like a fun carelessness that goes around that follows around like the word pirate of just being out with your buddies on a ship and like wherever the wind may take us sort of thing. You know? Yeah, living life by yeah. the seat of your pants. The seat exactly. of your pants. Yeah. Is that the yeah, that's that the phrase? phrase? Okay, good, good. I almost said seat of your pants. <laughs> Um, and there, pirates also represented a chance for people to advance who had no chance for advancement. Yeah. And this is the end of my segment. And like I said earlier, I wish, wish, wish I could talk about individual pirates. But I actually, I want to ask you a quick question because this was too cool to pass up. Because pirates are so cool, like we just said. They are. Who is the most successful pirate? Uh, Henry Avery. Mm-mm. Hmm. Probably one that pirate empire in China we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually Ching Shi, who had a fleet of 2,000 ships and 80,000 pirates under her command in the South China Sea. So she was a pirate queen? Pirate queen. That's pretty and badass. I'm, yeah, her story <laughs> is so cool. And I'm, she actually was allowed to retire. The Chinese government basically couldn't control her. So yeah, they gave her, take her amnesty. That's so that's I'm awesome. going to link to an article about her on our Facebook page yeah. because just it's so much fun. Where's her little biopic movie or I you know, know, based I'm on? I'm actually, my hope is that someone wises up and in the near future does a movie or a book or something about her, a comic maybe, and then we can do her do a, story yeah. for the podcast. That would be very cool. Well, that's my brief history on Pirates. Kyle, tell me about Robert Louis Stevenson. So Robert Louis Stevenson pretty much invented the modern popular image of a pirate, uh, despite this book being written over 130 years ago. That's how old Treasure Island is. It's 134 years old this year. Um, But it still reads really well. Like, I read it recently, and I understood everything, and it it was a really fun book to read, and it was short and sweet. Um, but a lot of that that stain power of his picture of a pirate has to do with the quality of his writing and the pirate lingo and speak that he mostly made up for that book. Like, the way that the pirates talk in that book is very similar to the way that, say, Jack Sparrow talks in mm-hmm. the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh, Jack movies. Sparrow is very Much, influenced yeah, by, by Long John, John Silver. Silver. 100% for sure. Uh, but that pirate speak, Robert Louis Stevenson kind of made up. Like, he'd never met a pirate, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, so that's like just it, it's it speaks to the stain power of Treasure Island and like what it's done for the popular imagination. So I want to talk a good bit about Robert Louis Stevenson's life because uh, it's pretty interesting. And it seems to me that he was almost as well traveled as a lot of the pirates, you know, who, who he wrote about that he that he created in his book. So Stevenson was born in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1850 to a fairly prominent family of lighthouse engineers, and his family built many of the deep-sea lighthouses around Scotland. And just as a side note, for me, lighthouses and pirates are synonymous. We can get into that a little bit in opinions. Yeah, I want to know sense. why. It, it, it's, I, have, I have a history of piracy, Claire. And lighthouses? And, li- and lighthouses. Okay. But the, yeah, to me, they, they're synonymous. Uh, he originally went to school to be a lighthouse engineer like his father, but much to his parents' dismay, abandoned studying engineering, He switched to law, but he never practiced law, and in 1875, at the age of 25, he decided to become a writer instead. Sounds like a millennial. He does sound like a millennial. He's like, I don't want this law degree, Daddy. (laughs) I'm going to write pirate stories. (laughs) 
He did have, he had kind of a hipster mustache too. I feel like a lot of hipsters are trying to look like Robert Louis Stevenson. Or he was just ahead of the time. Maybe he was just ahead of the time. That's true. That's true. His first published volume came out in 1878 and it was called An Inland Voyage. And it's kind of this introspective account of a travel he made by canoe from Antwerp to northern France. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I'd like to read some of his other work. Uh, one of the, what is his other big work I've also never read, which I, I need to get on now that I've read Treasure Island. But uh, his, he wrote a lot of travel stuff. I've read Kidnapped. Which is another his one of his other adventure stories right. kind of for kids. Right, and we can talk about it later, but it's different from Treasure Island. Yeah. So a lot of Stevenson's early work, like I said, were these introspective travel collections, and he did quite a bit of travel. Um, one of his longest journeys came about when he met an American woman named Fanny Osborne. And this is pretty cool, actually. So Fanny was traveling with her two children in France, and she was separated from her husband. She's American. Um, and Stevenson met her, and they just fell immediately in love. Fanny was about 10 years older than Stevenson, but it didn't matter. And he saw this, like, free American woman who was <laughs> divorcing her husband and traveling abroad alone, you know, just with her on kids. On an adventure. On an adventure. And he was like, man, that's hot. Like, <laughs> I am into you. So they met. They pretty much immediately fell in love. Um, and this was right after he got back from that canoe trip from Antwerp to northern oh. France and writing his first real story. So they met, they fell in love, like I said. Uh, Fanny moved back to San Francisco, which is where she was from. And in 1879, Robert Louis Stevenson set out to join her in San Francisco. So he traveled across the Atlantic um, and then across the whole of America by train to join her. And this long journey was the subject of his next big work, which was The Amateur Emigrant. And that was written from 1879 to 1880 while he was traveling and published in 1882. And, it, and it, some say it's his best his best piece of writing. Oh, I really want to read that. Yeah. I would love to take that trip. Me Not too. Maybe unnecessarily under the conditions he traveled. But if he was from a rich family, he probably traveled pretty well. He traveled pretty well. He was on bad terms with his family. I, I, I feel like he must have been getting some money from them or like had some money left over. But him deciding to be a writer and not a lighthouse engineer or even a lawyer, they were like, screw you, man. Get your act together. Yeah, right now, and now you're running off to America with some broad who's already married did and he has marry two her? kids. He did. He got he got to San Francisco. Did she get divorced back in 1880? Then? Yeah, she got divorced when when she got back to San Francisco, and he joined later, and they got married in 1880. And he did travel a lot, which is weird when you read more about Stevenson and, and find out that he was also very very sickly. They think he had tuberculosis for like a large part of his life. But he was, you know, always coughing and he would cough up blood and stuff. They called it consumption oh, back in the day. I feel like that's the ultimate period piece sickness. Yeah, it is. It it's is. very it romantic. Did. Everyone died of consumption, quote unquote, after their blood was let out of their bodies by leeches because people thought that was good for you. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, but he traveled a lot for someone who was sick all the time. And part of that was also that in Europe at that time, if you were wealthy enough and you did have this sickness, you would travel around for, quote unquote, better airs. Because that was like the idea was that the bad air was what was making you sick. So there was. I mean, there was in that London, aspect. that was a po good point. Maybe not in Edinburgh, though. No, I no. don't know. I've I didn't see Edinburgh in eighteen. Yeah, you never know. So you never know. <laughs> After Robert Louis Stevenson and Fanny married in San Francisco, he moved the whole family back to Scotland. So he did that trip twice. This is a sick it's guy. It's probably a great time. Did that trip twice with his two new stepkids <laughs> and his new wife. Um, and when he got back to Scotland, he kind of reconciled with his family, and his sickness got worse. 
Uh, so he was in bed a lot of this time when he was in, moved back to Scotland. But this is also when he would write some of his two most famous works and some of his best work, people say. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was his other big work that he wrote. I'm sure you guys have heard of that, which I've never read. Now I want to. Um, and Treasure Island. So I'm going to move on to Treasure Island now. So I've heard slightly different accounts as to the impetus of writing Treasure Island, but they both involve a hand-drawn map and Stevenson's stepson, Lloyd. Um, and in some versions I read, Lloyd drew a map of an island and asked uh, his stepfather, Robert Louis Stevenson, for a story about it. And they would kind of fill in parts of the map together, like, oh, we'll put treasure here, and this will be a hill, and there'll be an oh, old fort here. How fun. And Stevenson made up a story for Lloyd. And in other things I read, it was that Stevenson drew the map and the story, but for Lloyd in the end to tell a story to his stepson. It's a pretty cool activity to do. It's pretty as a adorable. Kid. Yeah, I feel like good when you're good with the stepkids, you get a lot of brownie points with the with, with the, the wife. wife. Yeah, Definitely. for sure. For sure. Uh, Treasure Island was originally known as the Sea Cook because the obvious focus of the book was to be the legendary Long John Silver, who's probably the most famous fictional pirate. Um, and and in the book, Long John Silver is kind of masquerading as the ship's cook. He is a cook. I mean, he is a cook. He is the ship's cook. He does do the cooking, but he's also, like, the de facto kind of captain. You know, he's sort of in charge. He's one of the best characters, I think, ever written. He is so cool. Reading that book, the, when you first meet Long John Silver, I was like, man, I just want this. I know, because I know the story. I know he's bad. I want him to win. <laughs> I want him. I want you to win, Mr. Silver, because you were that charismatic on the pages. And he's really yeah, charismatic Everyone feels that way, even in the book. Yeah, they do. <laughs> So he's actually based on one of Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, friends of that time, this guy named Ernest Henley, who was a poet himself, but who had lost his leg to tuberculosis. So if you don't know, Long John Silver is has one leg. Mm-hmm. Beware the one-legged man. Uh, but this is what Stevenson had to say about that friend. He said, I had an idea for Long John Silver, from which I promised myself funds of entertainment, to take an admired friend of mine, to deprive him of all his finer qualities and higher graces of temperament, and to leave him with nothing but his strength, his courage, his quickness, and his magnificent geniality, and to try to express these in terms of the culture of a raw tarpaulin. What's a tarpaulin? A tarpaulin was slang for a sailor back in the day. It had to do with their hat. Oh, like a tarp? Yeah, yeah, kind of like a tarp. Ah. Now, Treasure Island was published as a book in 1883 and became Robert Louis Stevenson's first really widespread success. Um, And Stevenson was not shy about discussing where some of his inspiration came from um, in plot and appeal, like, you know, it was targeted towards young boys. He took elements from Washington Irving, who wrote an old pirate book, uh, The Adventures of Captain Bonneville, I think is what it was called, um, and Daniel Defoe, who you actually mentioned, uh, who wrote Robinson Crusoe, to help make his book appealing to young readers and, and have that sense of adventure. And he even once happily admitted, and this is a quote from him, Plagiarism was rarely carried further. <laughs> like he said it with a smile. He's like, "Yeah, I, I like I took on these adventure stories and tried to kind of." But no one has done it better. Yeah, like, it's one of the few books that stands uh, stands the test of time. Yeah, I wonder re, if re, having just read Treasure Island, it definitely stands the test of time. I wonder if Robinson Crusoe would, if I read that, like where it would fall. If it would be, because it's a little older, if it would be harder to get into. Yeah, it's one of those the things language I would, be been, a difficult. would really like to read at some point. Yeah. Treasure Island is one of the most enduring pieces of literature, having done a lot to shape, you know, the pop culture today, like we've talked about. 
Um, there have been over 50 film and TV adaptations made in multiple different languages um, of this of this book. And with the way Hollywood loves remaking old stories, we'll probably see another Treasure Island soon, honestly. And some actor is going to want to play Long John Silver, Ever, and yeah. he's going to produce it. I watched a bunch of old trailers for old different Treasure Islands, like the one from 1992 with Charlton Heston yeah. and a very young Christian Bale. It sounds so... <laughs> wrong to have Charleston Heston do it. He's too proper. Yeah, he's too proper. I watched one with Eddie Izzard, who's playing Long John Silver. Yeah. And uh and uh uh Frodo, what's his name? Elijah Wood. He plays Long John Silver? No, 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 he's Jim. No, he wasn't even Jim, he was actually Ben Gunn. I forget forget who was Jim. But they were just they have if you want to look up some funny trailers, watch all the trailers for all the different (laughs) treasure Treasure islands Islands, because there's a lot of familiar faces in them. As for Robert Louis Louis Stevenson, he continued on his never-ending quest for that quote-unquote good air, which took him out of Scotland in 1888 and to the islands of the Pacific, where he traveled for three years around the islands of of the Pacific, even becoming good friends with the king of Hawaii at that time, which is just fascinating. That sounds like like a great vacation. He had his own personal adventures. Um, Mm -hmm. It almost sounds like this is something you would write about in your book. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and he, he finally settled himself and his family in Samoa, in the island of Samoa, which is where he died at the age of 44. So he was really young, actually. Um, and that was in 1894. And his own Requiem, which is a poem he wrote, was inscribed on his tombstone. And I just want to read it because I thought it was really pretty. Under the wide and starry sky, dig the grave and let me die. Glad did I live and gladly die, and I laid me down with a will. This be the verse you grave for me. Here he lies where he longed to be. Home is the sailor, home from sea, and the hunter home from the hill. And that's, that's on his gravestone. Oh, wow. It's really sad. Yeah, it's really sad. And the Samoans apparently were, were really, you know, they loved him when he moved there. And they actually translated that into Samoan, and they sing it as a grief song at funerals still. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a beautiful poem. Yeah, it's really pretty, and it's sad. And I've I read something that uh, the English complain that it's he's the he's the the one like famous author whose grave you'll never get to visit. They have or it's so hard to visit. many I know authors. They have some, but Samoa, how many does Samoa have? Not, I mean, I don't know, but I'm just because he's mar- because he's buried in Samoa. Right, right. The English are like, oh, we'll never get to go see oh. Robert Louis Stevenson's grave. Um, and he is extremely popular. He's the 26th most translated author in the world, which is pretty pretty damn good. That he's, is really good. He's very beloved. But do we beloved him? I mean, I obviously love the book. I picked it. Yeah. But I'm curious. Did you like it, Kyle? Yeah, man. I thought it was so much fun. I, and I'm surprised I never read it because I'm pretty sure my older brothers have read it. I, I know I'd seen copies of it around the house. Uh, I was surprised you hadn't read it too. I'd seen a lot of Muppet Treasure Island. Like that was one of my favorite movies as a kid, and my my brother Ryan can attest to that too. Oh my we goodness, love that movie. Yeah, me and my brother loved that movie too. <laughs> and we'd quote it all day. This I could still just be us quote it. it. Yeah. My, we quote it together all yeah. the time. <laughs> Count them, Jim. One. <laughs> and like I said in the intro, I always think of this as the ultimate adventure story. It is buried like, treasure. And Jim Hawkins, who is the protagonist, yeah. wants to go have an adventure. You know, he works at this inn. It's not very exciting. His father dies in like the first five pages. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and this also leads me to another point. Rereading this. I read this as a kid. 
And yeah. my mom read it to me, actually, and I loved it. And that's why I read Kidnapped, because I love Treasure Island so much. My mom was like, oh, well, you can read Kidnapped. And Kidnapped is dark. Is it really? It's, it's for way, kids, though. Maybe. I mean, kids this, the time. Kid, this kid gets kidnapped. It's, it's, it's on, scary. put on a ship, and yeah. I can't remember all the details, but I yeah. remember it was in Treasure Island, and I didn't like it as much. Where Treasure Island is where the bad guy is the coolest, funnest oh, character who yeah. you want to be with all the time. <laughs> yeah. But um, there's no, barely any women in Treasure Island. Just his hysterical mother. His mother, who is, uh, can't handle it. No, she can't handle it. Yeah, and it makes the makes them... I get almost caught by the pirates yeah, because she's, she's so, out so finicky much. about the money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did notice that rereading it, but it it was a lot of fun. Um, and I read that Robert Louis Stevenson actually wrote this for boys. Yeah, I think uh, like his. I feel like his main audience he was trying to please was his stepson Lloyd, and he was like, you know, if Lloyd likes it, I bet other boys will like it. Yeah. So but as a as sense. a kid, I think I read it when I was, or my mom read it to me. I should say when I was seven or eight. It was just a great time. Yeah, yeah. And did you guys like? Did you have a lot of pirate stuff out in California where you were? Was that no. like pirates? No, Pacific wasn't the uh, haven for pirates yeah. that the Caribbean and the East Coast of the United States was. See, my family used to vacation. We would go down to uh, the Outer Banks of North Carolina where there, uh, there's all these famous old lighthouses, and we would drive down to, like, pretty pretty south in those Outer Banks, and we would camp in these, like, small towns called Frisco and Hatteras. And that's why, to me, lighthouses and pirates are oh. so synonymous, because this is also where Blackbeard used to call to port all the time, and Calico Jack used to, who was another pirate, who actually the Jolly Roger that we know of is pretty much Calico Jack's flag. Like, that's kind of what he invented. And, uh... So, yeah, so the lighthouses and pirates always were really synonymous for me, and there's all these books about pirates, and we would buy books about pirates in the Outer Banks and just read them. Because they're so cool. Because they're so cool. They're so fun. I wanted to ask if you have any favorite pirate stories or if you know any any good ones. Oh, it's definitely my Chinese pirate, uh, Chin Shi. I just found out about her, but... No one beats that. No, that's pretty awesome. I had heard about like the, like a pirate empire in China, but I, I that's all I know about it. I all I know is that it existed. It's it's really interesting when you start reading. Yeah. I feel like Western history, especially, just doesn't take into account a lot of Asian history, especially. Yeah, like when you asked who the most successful pirate was, my first thought was Henry Avery because he was one of the few pirates who got a bunch of money and got away. But right. you're like, no, man. This... He didn't have 2,000 ships under him. He didn't. Chin Shi got, was granted amnesty. They were right. like, you know what? just. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much Western culture is taught in Asian schools. Yeah, so it might be the pot calling the kettle black. But I feel like there's so much interesting history yeah. in Asia that we just gloss over. Yeah. I, I wanted to tell my favorite true life pirate story because <laughs> I think it's, cause I think it, it's amazing. Please. So there's this pirate captain named Calico Jack, who probably has one of the coolest names for a pirate. He was not a great pirate. He was mostly unsuccessful. But he has a great story about how, how, uh, his, how he came to an end, essentially. So Calico Jack had a really important pirate on a ship named Anne Bonnie. She was one of the few female Western mm-hmm. pirates. Um, and also Mary Reed was another female pirate who was on Calico's 
Calico Jack's so ship. So had two women. He had two women. Mary Reed was disguised as a man, and Anne Bonny was mostly disguised as a man, but I think people knew that she, like, who she mm-hmm. was, like, Anne Bonny's girl. Well, Calico Jack was finally caught by the British. The British finally cornered his ship, and he was so scared because he'd been pirating. He wasn't super successful, but he'd captured money. He'd gotten ships and stuff. He was so scared, him and the crew just hid inside the boat. Like, they cowered inside it. And Anne Bonny and Mary Reed were the only ones to try and fight the British. So they came out on deck with their weapons, and they're ready to fight the British. And Calico Jack and the rest of the crew are cowering <laughs> in the ship. And they get Mary Reed and Anne Bonny get so mad, they shoot into the mass of, of their own shipmates, trying to get them to come out and fight the British. And like, come on, you guys, you suck. So the British board and they capture the ship and they put all the pirates in chains, including Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed. Um, and Anne, Bonnie, and Mary Reed, when they're thrown in prison, they claim they're pregnant to mm-hmm. avoid the hangman's noose. Because back right. in the day, if you claimed you were pre- if you're a woman and pregnant, they they weren't going to execute you. So Calico Jack, as the captain, was going to get executed, hundred percent. Like he was the mm-hmm. captain, even though he didn't fight when the British caught him, he was <laughs> he was going down. So Anne Bonnie gets to see Calico Jack before he's going out to be hung, to die. And Anne Bonnie and Calico Jack were friends, you know? They were on this ship together for a long time. And the last words Anne Bonnie ever says to Calico Jack before he's marched off to the hangman's noose was, I'm sorry to see you go, Jack, but if you would have fought like a man, you wouldn't have to die like a dog. <laughs> Did Anne Bonnie live? It's inconclusive. There's no record of Anne Bonnie's execution or of her release so it's kind of up in the air people some speculate. real legal stuff happened yeah <laughs> people speculate like maybe she got out and went back to pirating maybe she was ransomed by her father or maybe you know who knows what happened mary reed died in prison though of a fever but that's that's, that's a very cool story it's the coolest pirate it's my favorite pirate story I'm actually curious, what do you think of Captain Jack Sparrow, especially now after, from Pirates of the Caribbean, after hearing about all this pirate lore and reading Treasure Island? I I still liked Captain Jack Sparrow. I think that, as far as those movies go, the first movie's really good. The first movie's great. And I even enjoyed the fourth one. Um, But yeah, he's definitely, he's Long John Silver. And Captain Hook a little bit. And Captain Hook a little bit, He has Captain Hook's incompetence. yeah. Yeah, but his his incompetence is like turns out to be competence a lot of times. Yeah, you know, but it he like seems like he blunders his way. Yeah, by mistake into some situations. Yeah, it's just I found it really interesting after doing all this research, and I, I guess I always kind of knew that of course Captain Jack Sparrow was influenced by Long John Long Silver, John Silver yeah. but just how influenced he was and how much like that this character has affected our popular culture today. Yeah. That's amazing. That's an amazing feat. It is. It totally is. And the way that he talks, the way that Jack Sparrow was written, or I don't know if that's Johnny Depp who made some of the decisions of the language and stuff there, but it is very Long John Silver well, when you read this book. It's stereotypical pirate, pirate talk. I mean, Jeffrey Rush in the movie playing Barbosa yeah. talks in pirate talk more so than Johnny Depp, actually. He looks a little more, or he even seems very Long John Silvery. Right, because that's a pirate. Yeah, everyone, every pirate in modern culture is shades of Long John Silver. Right, because the real pirates, you don't know them as well, per se, because, you know, we don't have them on film. People maybe wrote biographies about them. But Robert Louis Stevenson is such a good author that you can really grasp how charismatic Long John is. He's basically, I think, an actor's dream. Oh, for sure. For sure. And in Muppet Treasure Island, 
I maintain that Tim Curry is the perfect casting because Tim Curry is kind of a pirate. Yeah, Tim Curry slays it. He's, oh, he's so good. He's such a good Long John and Silver. And granted, I I did watch the movie after I read the book, but this is when I was about ten or I don't remember somewhere around there is when the movie came out. Yeah. And he, I just thought he was perfect. Yeah. Like, and he, I think he has also influenced how I picture Long John Silver. Me too. But like when I think of Charleston, Charlton Heston playing Long John Silver. Yeah, it I just doesn't, it doesn't feel doesn't like he's feel uh, right. He's not fun. He's not low class enough. Yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not as fun as like a Tim Curry or even an Eddie Izzard. Like watching the the two thousand, I think it was two thousand fourteen uh, mm-hmm. Treasure Island trailer film. And the thing about Long John Silver is that he is the devil. He is the worst person, but he is also the most charismatic. And everyone, the good people who suspect that there might be pirates on their ship, don't suspect Silver, even though he hired the whole crew. The crew. <laughs> That's what, when the guy, Trelawney? Trelawney, I think. Trelawney, when, when Trelawney, who's the guy who, who is financing the operation, he's like, I met this. Fozzie Bear. He, he's played by Fozzie Bear. And in Treasure, Treasure Island. Island. He's like, I met this awesome dude, Long John Silver. He's very respectable. He told me I was hiring the crew all wrong. So he hooked me up with a bunch of great, he says they're a great crew and I believe him. And I'm like, oh, Trelawney. <laughs> but everyone meets Silver and says, oh yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. And Jim had been warned to look out for the one-legged man. man. And he meets Silver and he was like, it's not him. It can't be him. There's got to be other one-legged men around London I should have, or Bristol. They're in Bristol. I should have be worried about. Yeah. So we both enjoyed the book. Oh, it's a great book. And it's a super fast read. You can read in a day. Yeah. I highly recommend it. And I highly recommend Muppet Treasure Island. For For, sure. If you want to celebrate my birthday... Watch Muppet Treasure Island. You have to rent it. I had a, I rewatched it for this podcast, and I used to have the VHS, but yeah, not anymore. The player anymore either. <laughs> so I had to rent it, but it was completely worth the three dollars for sure. And I think honestly, Muppet Treasure Island and the book Treasure Island are are really good gateways into summer, which is what where we are now. Yeah, happy summer, guys. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Claire White. And I'm Kyle Willoughby. And we are Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website at dsrapodcast.com. And we would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. We would love it like we love buried treasure. Almost. Mm, real buried treasure, yes. <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter at dsrapodcast. I can be found on Twitter at along with Claire. That's C L A I R E. And I can be found at Clex three zero three. That's K L E X three zero three. And you can find our producer James at James Fowey Jr. That's James F O U H E Y J R on Twitter. And uh, we also want to shout out this new podcast, Two Brothers Talk Games, right? Yes, which I, I've been listening to recently, and I actually picked up a pirate game based on their recommendation. It's it's these two guys, they're talking about new games that come out and, and just different things about video games. But I picked up this pirate game called Flint Hook, which is kind of a space pirate game based on their recommendation, and it's really fun. And the podcast is great, too. Yeah, so definitely check it out. Um, you can learn more about Treasure Island and I assume Robert Louis Stevenson. Yes. And uh, pirates in general on our Facebook page where we'll be posting some of our show notes. Our producer who 
wishes he was Long John Silver, but is really Squire Trelawney. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> is James Bowie. Our logo is done by the real-life Anne Bonnie, Patty Highland. And our theme was composed by Pete Rohan. Who's technically a pirate because he once stole a sandwich from me at sea. Mm, there you go. Real-life pirate. Once again, this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week with our next special birthday episode. And it's a surprise. Get ready to be amazed. (laughs) 